Welcome to Help From Future Self. Howdy, Archons. Welcome to another episode of Help From Future Self. It's the conversational Keyforge podcast by and for Keyforge friends. I am your conversational Keyforge friend. My name is Scuzzy Gru, and I am also called Alex. And I am joined this week by two of the very best Keyforge friends I have. We've got SC Steele. Hello, hello. And Boulevard Blake. Yo, what's going on? Not too much, not too much. Interesting topic today, and one that I think is going to resonate especially um, with the kinds of people who have played a lot of Keyforge in a lot of different contexts. We're going to talk a little bit about whether or not unsportsmanlike play exists in Keyforge. I think the answer is probably yes, but then dig a little deeper into what contexts that exists within online, in real life, and how it can be mitigated. So I'm going to start things off with what I think is a pretty good conversation like table setter. And here is my question to both of you. In my estimation, there is no such thing as out of bounds, unsportsmanlike deck or technique to play in high-level tournament play. Um, I'm not talking about rudeness. I'm not talking about being a sore loser. Obviously, that happens at every level of play, and that's unsportsmanlike. But I do not believe that it's unsportsmanlike to bring the biggest heat that exists or play the cheesiest deck that exists if you're playing at a high level of tournament play or even just entry-level tournament play if that's what the parameters of the tournament are. Do you agree? Of yeah, course totally. not, because you forgot about Heart of the Forest. Obviously, if you're bringing a Heart of the Forest, you're not playing a fair game. Come on, everyone knows this. <laughs> I detect a note of sarcasm there, Blake. Slightly. But also, slightly, but also, I do feel that way. <laughs> Top tip, if you want to trigger me, bring a Heart of the Forest deck. <laughs> okay, so l- l- let's, uh, Sydney, uh, what are your thoughts on this before we dig into this Heart of the Forest issue? Because I do want to hear hear your argument on this, Blake. So my my favorite, absolute favorite way to play is the the high level tournament style. I really, really like the the level of play that is brought to high level tournament. So I, I have an open expectation that I'm going to play against decks that are mean, even if the person controlling the deck is not mean. So I, I can see that in casual play this is absolutely a different story. But I do agree that in high level play anything goes. All right. Blake, barring Heart of the Forest, would you agree with that statement from Sydney? 100%. Yeah. I mean, you can bring Heart of the Forest. It's it's the only I just state this and we can unpack that part of this question in this in this same response because I 100% agree with everything Sydney says. The only reason I don't like Heart of the Forest is cuz it's the actual only time that I'm playing something and I don't enjoy Keyforge and I've played against it at a prime tournament in a high level of play. And I've, I've said this story before, but I'm literally sitting there and I'm doing things that don't matter. Mm-hmm. It literally came to, I think I didn't have scaling Ember control. Actually, no, it made no difference. It actually made no difference because it just the way that the thing went, it's like, I got to a point where I'm playing cards and I'm like, I actually said, I'm like, is there any point to me even like doing this? Like, I steal 20 from you. Does that actually matter? And like, <laughs> no, it doesn't. And I was like, okay. And I'm like, I stop. Like, we can't forge. I don't have artifact control. Like, are we just going through the motion until you draw your two key chiefs? And he was like, yeah, basically. So I'm like, so the situation that exists now is that if we run out of time before you do that, you lose. And if we don't go to time, then I win. He's like, yeah. 
That was literally it. And and because that exists, and this is why I think we will never see Heart of the Forest again or anything to that capacity where you you can just have this occur, um, is why I'm not really a fan of Heart of the Forest. I was I was playing Keyforge strictly for the sense of during my turn, I'm supposed to do these things. Does <laughs> anything I'm doing matter to how the game will end? No. Let me ask you this question. Given that scenario, it is still unsportsmanlike of you to then play stall, like long stalling turns. I did not do that, though. No, no, I know that you didn't, because I know that you would never do that. But it would still be unsportsmanlike to have the understanding of, if we run out of time, then I win. But if he gets to his key cheats, he wins. It would still be unfair of you to play a stalling game at that point. So here's here's my question for both of you. Mm-hmm. Moral dilemma. <laughs> you know you can't win unless it goes to time. Mm-hmm. You know this. It's mm-hmm. the only way you have any chance of winning. Do you then, let's say you're not stalling, but you're not trying to be expedient in your play. How would you view that? Gray area. Honestly, I a gray think- area. I think that's explicitly cheating. What I would do in that case is not take my time, but do the most I can possibly do. So instead of this doesn't matter, so I'm not going to reap with all my creatures, or this doesn't matter, so I'm not going to play this cool combo, I'm literally going to spend the most time possible on my turn doing as much as possible on my turn to the end of if my actual Keyforge actions take the time that this game needs to go to time, then I haven't cheated in any way and I feel good about my win. I really like that, Sydney. So you're saying like if you have a, a thing that you can do like in that moment where like you have a lot of cards of one house in your hand, zero yep. on the board, the interactions of playing those cards are quite quick, but yet doing things with your board like reaping with one creature which triggers a bunch of effects or fighting yep. which does that, you will do those actions to maximize the time your turn takes, but you're actually doing things in a timely fashion within exactly. the realm of this on your board. Damn, that's 4D chess, Sydney. I gotta <laughs> say, that is the greatest, I guess it's greatest, like totally fair play time wasting I've ever heard, and I absolutely <laughs> love it. I'm I'm gonna live for this now in these situations. <laughs> I think we can agree that that time wasting, regardless of of like deliberate, overt time wasting, is one against the rules. But two, you know, you can get warned by a judge for it. You know, mm-hmm. but but two, it's just unsportsmanlike at every level. Um, and the, the the difficulty with it is that it's so hard to actually prove that's what's happening because. Mm-hmm. Some people take a long time in their turn. We've all faced people who are either very considerate players or players who are struck by analysis paralysis, who have just like that more deliberate style or who are trying really hard to remember or figure something out. You know, I've played against people who take the moment to like put down their hand, pick up their discard, go through their discard, look at what's left in their deck you know, really think hard about what the chances are of them pulling a thing before they start to play. And my instinct with always is that, like, let let this play out. Let them play their absolute best because if I win, mm-hmm. I want to know I won, not because I, you know, b- you know, let out a loud sigh and crossed my arms and gave them a come on, let's go face. I want to know I won because they tried their best and I still won. 
But it's also possible for people to abuse that trust, and that's where the real unsportsmanlike behavior comes in, in high-level tournament play, but also in, in smaller-level tournament play, in my estimation. Well, with that being said, I think that, at the end of the day, comes down to intention and integrity. Mm. And that's something, I think, not just from a Keyforge standpoint, standpoint, but like just in general as a human on this planet that you are going to be faced with every day and different decisions you make. And when it comes to Keyforge and playing a game, I guess there is a a level of due diligence you yourself have to have in the way that you play. And it goes down to, are you coming in with the intention of doing things on the level every time? Because I do that. Some things you described, I do do. And I will look through my discard. I will count cards Mm -hmm. when I'm indecisive in terms of like, I don't know which house to call right now because I don't have an obvious good move. So now I'm going to start going into the numbers game of Keyforge and start figuring out what will be the most efficient since nothing I do is actually going to be impactful now. And I'll take the time to actually look at things in that regard. And I do do it all the time. It's way faster on TCO because you just go click, look, see, done. But in IRL, it takes a little bit more time because you have to physically do some of the, uh, the counting. And, you know, the other side of that is also a big point, too. Like, I think it's kind of unsportsmanlike conduct. If your your opponent goes so quickly, you don't even know what happened. So on TCO, yeah. that's actually kind of okay, one, because TCO does it, again, so quickly. But two, you can read what happened. But then you reading <laughs> yeah. what happened is you taking longer on your turn. And it's even harder in person because if they're, like, putting a card down, they know what card it is. They don't read anything to you, so they, they start doing what ever it is that's on the card or even like if they take uh, a step or two um for granted on the card and then they don't communicate what's going on like and then it happens in two seconds and then the card is in their discard pile and the next card is down like i've have Mm -hmm. asked people to slow down or at least like what just happened before they like Like, start taking things off the board and yeah exactly I mean, this is one of the the fundamental problems with having timed play in any capacity is that I think it's a valid psychological technique to play your turn a little bit slower to get under your opponent's skin to, you know, (laughs) really, you know, if you can tell that they're a person who has like a more rapid moving mindset whose attention doesn't necessarily stay on focus i i don't know that i could say that in a very competitive environment that it's unfair to take advantage of that except for the fact that it leads to scenarios in which you are actually cheating at the beginning of the game it's less obviously so but then by the end of the game you are literally stalling for time to try and eke out a win and that is not fair so it's that's why when i say it's a gray area i fundamentally believe it's a gray area because you know as you said blake intention matters but there's no way we can know intention we can only know what people say and so there has to be sort of a covenant of of understanding and hope that people are being honest but there's you know honestly so many ways to cheat in this game that there's no way to ever prove okay so i want to address again what Sydney just said about you know the the rapid play because there is definitely in the competitive scene both in IRL tournament play and online where there is players who take pride in being able to play quickly and it's just to maximize the time they have available and it also comes down to is their deck is so rehearsed and Mm. so well driven that they understand the way it plays where they can play very quickly and those people have an expectation that we are in a competitive level of play you should be playing 
at the same level to a degree that I can play my deck if you're going to be in this tournament, which is not always the case, especially I think in vault tours, because as competitive as vault tours are in terms of rules and regulations that exist, the type of player who could come to a vault tour is not necessarily a extremely competitive player who's like, I want to win this whole thing. It's more like they want to be a part of that experience of a grand tournament and a weekend where you get to connect with other Keyforge players. And we, I think we've all seen this if you've been to a Vault Tour in some capacity. You have the Spikes who are there, and then you have, I don't know the the name for the people who are more just chill with it, but <laughs> they're there as well. Um, and so with that in mind, like Alex, you mentioned the whole idea of do you play, let's say, you're not going slower to cheat, but you're using it now as a tactic to get under your opponent's skin because you know they're it like it irks them and that is i guess the gamesmanship of any game is like how you're gonna go about it and if you're let's say not deliberately slow playing to waste time but you're going less than expediently because you know the other person is going so fast that that is something that may like kind of rattle them a little bit and to bring something up from a previous episode, the Mulligan one, Sydney, where you said <laughs> you would actually sometimes keep rather than mulliganing when they did just to throw them off like my hand is good and I'm okay. That's sort of that what you talked about that. How are those two things different? Because you're still going about the psychological aspect of the game. Is that cheesing? This is the thing, Blake, and this is where that intentionality piece matters so much because it is indistinguishable. There is no way for me to look at that objectively without speaking to the person doing a slower play and go, were you doing this for the quote-unquote acceptable reason, the gamesmanship reason, or the wasting time to try and win the game reason? Like so you were saying that it's okay to do it in the sense of playing the psychological aspect of the game. That's what you're, mean, That is your stance on that. I think it's generally accepted that it is. I don't know if it's quote-unquote okay. right. I, I think that, you know, uh, uh, nobody could take exception to at the beginning of a time tournament game me playing my term in a non and this is where another gray area works in you know if i'm not obviously wasting time just playing a slower role like as slow as like the slowest player in the tournament the person who really thinks through their turn nobody can can take that up with me but also at the same time like how is that distinguishable from you know playing that way in order to waste time at the end they're indistinguishable which is why there's such a gray area here and why when i say you know there, there's sometimes it's hard to figure out you know what is is this cheating or is this gamesmanship i i believe there is a line there but it's impossible to actually determine where it is and that's kind of where the covenant of just having to trust that people are doing the right thing for the right reasons and not the wrong thing for the right reasons. I absolutely love the the psychological play, but I do have to admit, I don't think it actually has so much bearing on the outcome of the game. So like for as as much as my mulligan decision might matter, I don't I don't think it's gonna put my opponent off tilt enough to like lose them the game. And and the same with time. I think the actual like stress of the game might have more effect on my time than somebody's like actions in the game like if i if i need to spend more time on something to win then that that won't that won't quite make 
its way into my head while the game is going more than like I need to like think through the turn that I'm about to have. So I, as much as I love the psychological game, I think that any intentionality to including that in your tournament is, is probably crossing the line from gray to unsportsmanlike. Cause I think like, for example, like calling a judge, usually they will add the time back to your game. If you like, calling the judge over is something that takes a long time or they need to like research a decision. They might actually add like tack a minute or two on at the end so that it doesn't take up too much time, but you're throwing your opponent off if you're calling them out for something. So I feel like I've, I've never in any circumstance, like called someone out on something just to mess with their head, you know, Mm. even though there's nothing about that, that's, that's against the rules. No, and once again, this is where we get into something that is, is deliberately unsportsmanlike. Um, may not be officially against the rules, but is against the spirit of, of fair and good play. We've talked a lot about tournament level play. Let's talk a little bit about casual play. Maybe your weekly chain bound. Maybe just sitting around with friends. I think we can agree that there are certain decks that are not cool to bring to that context unless it is agreed upon ahead of time that is okay for you to play them. Either just as you're sitting down at the table, hey, I'm going to be playing Quixel, I'm going to be playing, you know, Genka, or literally just, you know, next week everybody bring a deck that follows these parameters. Please don't bring, you know, your heat because we're going to try and do an under 70 SAS tournament or something like that. So the question becomes... Is it the responsibility of both players to agree that certain decks are okay to play, or should the per- is there is it contingent upon a person who is bringing something very spicy to a more casual game or a more regular game that isn't tournament based to actually say something, or do you have to wait for your opponent to look at your deck list and go like, "Come on, guy"? <laughs> for me, I I land on the side of. It's transparency. If you're in a casual thing and you, you're like, hey, just so you know, I'm bringing this this heat. Do you have something to match or do you want me to play something else? But I, I want to play this today type of thing. Like I want to test it. I'm not familiar with it. I think it just comes down to transparency in terms of what you're doing. Because I don't, unless you have like, it's a, an esteem boost that you're bringing that to just stomp someone in that regard. I, I'm not quite sure the rationale behind bringing something so strong to a setting that is not going to reflect that that's just how my own personal view is and if other people do it it's like it's kind of annoying but i'm not that put off it's it's sometimes fun to have that challenge like you're like okay i'm probably going to lose this let's see how we can do Mm -hmm. yeah totally along those lines like there are there are some people that just like to win and so even if you put restrictions out they're still going to bring like the best possible thing within those restrictions. And I think it's kind of a bonding experience for the rest of the players that are at that like local game store. Because like if you're playing a full tournament, like three or four people have played against that player that day. And so if that person stomped all of you, yeah, they're they're walking away with first place. But like all three of those people get to like come together and be like, oh man, that was so rough. Like didn't expect to face that today. Yeah, totally. Like it's it's kind of fun in that regard in a casual setting. 
Or they all go, F that guy. <laughs> next yeah. week I'll bring our heat and show us what. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the other option, too, is that you can, uh, by doing that, you can foster an environment where it's like, well, if yeah. that guy's doing it, then I'm doing it. Like, the arms race begins, and that's not mm. good for new players. It's not good for people who are more interested in a casual style of gameplay. Um, I mean, I, I think at the same time, you know, there, there's, uh, if you're talking about online play, you've got, you know, casual and uh, competitive on the Crucy. You know, uh, I've noped out of games when I've seen people bringing stuff into casual that I thought wasn't casual. But also, you know, I told people why I was doing it. It's like, sorry, not interested in playing Genka in a casual game or not interested in playing against Heart of the Forest in a casual game or not interested in playing, a you know, your your extremely hot looking, you know, uh, uh, Saurian deck uh, in, in casual play. And, you know, I've never been cursed out for it. I never had anybody say anything other than just like, all right. So here's here's my question. You just mentioned the the TCO like casual competitive thing, mm-hmm. and I'm sure you've both have noticed that there is a little disclaimer we'll call it yeah. when you have those games stating what casuals refer to as and what competitive is referred to as, and neither of those descriptions have anything to do with the strength of deck. Mm-hmm. They're all to do with how you are playing the game, mm-hmm. and I don't know if I like that because. I think just based on what you said, Alex, I'm in line with you, is the determination of competitive and casual is the caliber of deck you're bringing. But at the same time, how do you really define what is considered to be a competitive deck versus casual deck? And using SAS as a barometer is obviously one thing, but is is that almost cheesing if you're going to go to a casual game with a really powerful deck and people are like, what the heck is going on here? I just wanted to have something chill. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, this is once again where I I think the covenant comes into play once again. I assume that people are entering into a game with me with the best intentions. Unfortunately, we also know the fact that some people do not enter into games with the best intentions. They enter into games with the deliberate intention of, I'm getting one over on the other person because I like to win. I'm bringing the biggest heat that I'm allowed to bring. And hey, there's nothing here that says that I can't bring a 98 SAS, you know, deck or some, you know, one turn kill or something else like that to to the game. You know, the, the I'm allowed to. Nothing in the rule says a dog can't play basketball. You know, that, that kind of thing is just, uh, you know, it's, it's, there's going to be people who do that. And the ultimate, you know, solution to that is that in online play, you block them and you move on. And in real life play, you try and reason with them. And if they won't reason, then, you know, they probably won't stick around because nobody's going to, like, I've seen people get drummed out of groups like that. And it's not pretty, but it happens. Exactly. Um, there are a ton of things that you can't do in person over and over and over again when you're coming to the same group of people every time, like a local casual game store. Whereas like online, you can be that player. And unless like your username gets around, like you're going to be playing against people that are randomly matched up with you or in general, just don't know who you are. And so you mm. can you can be that player and have those bad tendencies over and over and over again online where in person it kind of it kind of becomes clear that people don't like that Mm -hmm, totally let me tell you a quick story about my very first ever um keyforge organized play um i brought a deck that was no sorry it was my second ever organized play um i i went to a store that's actually quite a ways for me from where i was living at the time like almost an hour by public transit me and and the wheeling key forger rick went out to to play at this tournament this is before i got involved in sort of the most of the other organized events here in the city because there wasn't a lot happening at that time this was in the coda era and i brought a deck that i thought was 
fair, but I knew was pretty hot. It was a Coda Rush deck, and its biggest problem was it had no Amber control, and there was lots of ways that you could absolutely cripple it um, if you had the right response. Nobody in that room had the right response, so I basically sped through all of my games and won them very handily, and then it was just sort of left sitting there while everybody else was still playing out their games. Um, and it was one of those things where I remember thinking afterwards, like, did I did I do something unsportsmanlike there? Because in my mind, starting off with that deck, I was like, no, I've played this online a bunch of times. I know for a fact that this is not a 100% win deck. It's a deck that wins reasonably frequently. It's a fair deck to play against, but also, you know, it has glaring weaknesses. And But, I mean, it can also, you know, win quite handily if people don't know how to handle it. And so it, it really left me with the feeling of, am I doing what's fair? Am I bringing what's fair? And ultimately, I didn't end up playing that deck very much in organized play anymore because I was concerned about that. Whether or not that was the right or wrong decision to make, I don't know. But at the very least, it prompted in my mind the question thereof. And I think that kind of clears me, at least on an ethical level, because I didn't just go, woohoo, I won this tournament. I feel (laughs) great. I'm playing this deck every week until it stops winning. It was much more of a, I need to examine what I'm doing and examine my own motives for doing this and whether or not you know this is a legitimate thing if our goal around here is to foster community and have fun playing together so there's an element of personal responsibility i think i don't think i'm like any great shakes for having done that but it was a lesson that i learned early on i don't know if playing that deck that day was right or wrong but at the very least i thought about it after the fact and it's given me pause for thought you know in other times when i've been thinking about bringing decks to to weeklies and things like that that gives a lot of weight to intention too because unsportsmanlike play a lot of the time is someone not having the intention of doing something wrong or mean and they're just playing a certain way and and so that is something where you're not going to come back with the same heat so you definitely were not being unsportsmanlike in that way I agree. well thank you sydney you mentioned you um have some thoughts on how you can like cheese things online do be unsportsman like when we were oh, discussing totally this. there are a handful of things that are different for tco because you can't do anything you can't do anything incorrect online like the, it won't let you do things that are against the rules so everything that you do that's unsportsmanlike is is how you play your game and so there there are a handful of things that are that are simply just only online like when you're behind if you don't take your turn you, you can like ghost the game and then the person is still logged in in the game against you and they can't leave the game even though you're still playing against them. And so that's, that's not against the rules, but that's a really, really sour taste to put in somebody's mouth that they have to just forfeit the game to leave even though they were winning. Mm-hmm. And especially without like any communication or anything like that. Yeah, I, I agree with that one. I've uh, it's It's sometimes frustrating too. It's like the like the online slow playing almost as well, where, where it feels like, why are they taking so long in between turns? Like what is happening? Like, am I frozen? You know what I mean? Like you get yeah. those moments wondering what's happening. Or my internet's out or something. Oh yeah. yeah. And then I think the, the chat box also kind of like leads to a handful of, of etiquette incorrectness that is, is sometimes just not even realized, but can in fact be unsportsmanlike like if you if you're spamming the chat box that's obviously just not appreciated but if you are someone who's joined the game as a spectator 
it's actually kind of funny because in person you really feel like I shouldn't be talking to these two while they're playing unless that's part of the like feeling of the whole group. But in a, the chat box, what you're doing if you're chatting is you are actually getting in the way of the actual gameplay that's happening. So if someone is taking their turn and you want to go back and see what's happened and the chat box has been pretty huge since then, it's, it's actually kind of harder to remember what just happened or how they got to the board state that they're at if the chat box is pretty huge. And so that's, that's just a, it's a hard, it's a hard thing to measure, but it's something that can only happen online. Mm-hmm. We're leaving aside actual literal cheating that is easy to get away with online. For example, looking at people's you know deck lists after the start of the game, after you're supposed to be able to do that, looking in your to draw to figure out exactly which cards, you know, not just how many cards left right. to draw, but specifically which cards. Those are things that are just you would think that you know at a certain point they they would have uh, you know sort of patched in a way to prevent that from happening, but ultimately. You know, you just once again have to rely on 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 sort of the thought of, I'm I'm expecting my opponent to play fairly, and you know maybe maybe they will and maybe they won't, but at the very least that I have to. There's no point in playing if I can't make that assumption. But uh, this has been an interesting conversation. I think there's probably a lot more to say about the topic. I'll be very interested to hear other people's comments on it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I have to say this this conversation when we first pitched it today mm-hmm. <laughs> i was i was very much like i'm not sure how we're gonna go with this and i've i've really enjoyed the paths and divergent streams of thought we've had in discussion like i think we could easily do this for another hour mm-hmm. um and as a result we're not going to but make sure you hop in our discord to discussions of past episodes there's a link to join in the show notes to continue this conversation with your thoughts because I think the community is going to have a lot to say and I'm, I'd love to see that and maybe we'll have a follow-up episode based on that as well. Indeed. Can't end an episode of Help from Future Self without the titular segment. This one's called Help, Help from, from, future, from self. future Self. Sydney, I understand you have one for us here. Absolutely. So along the lines of everything we've been saying today, my Help from Future Self is have some grace for your friends and family who haven't played in a while, because maybe maybe they've gotten some some casual games in, uh, but or their their game stores are just opening up, and and there are things that they just simply don't remember. Because you might think it's it's simple, you know, like you have six cards in your hands when you start, seven if you're the first player. But like if they've played a couple of casual games of Magic or Flesh and Blood or like other card games since then, they might just instinctively draw five, you know. And so like the really simple things that you take for granted when you play the game constantly or at least it's your only game that you play might have changed a little bit for for some of your your fellow key forgers since they haven't played for a while or once they're getting back into it so it's something that you can politely suggest that they like look over the rules but you could also just fix them in in real time and just be nice about it it's it's casual and fun and we're we're hoping people play more. So that's something that they, an inviting group to do it in is, is the way to go. hundred percent. I agree with that wholeheartedly. And We're I'm hoping that people game extend game some grace to me, uh, in my return to IRL play. Cause it's been a little while. You better hope you don't face me, Alex. <laughs> oh, dude. You're going to go up one side sir, of me and down the other. Sir, that is not allowed. <laughs> No, no, no cordial conversation at all, sir. You cannot do that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, you can find me on the Crucible at Scuzzy Gruen. Sydney, where can they find you? I am SC Steel on TCO and Discord. 
And Blake, where can they find you? What are you going on? Um, I'm on Twitter and Discord. Actually, it seems to be the best way to get at me right now. It's a uh, Boulevard Blake number sign three eight four zero. That's B L V D Blake. That's uh, my Twitter handle, and then the number sign three eight four zero attached is for Discord. Uh, French AOA has sold out. It's all gone. But I've been getting some inquiries for other product. We still got some Deluxe Archon Mass Mutation. We have Worlds Collide and English AOA. Not as good a deal as the French, but still better than most. So if you're interested in that, uh, hit me up. Word up. We'll be back at you again next week with another episode of Help from Future Self. Until then, stay fortunate.